The scripture lesson today consists of five uh, very short readings from the epistles, each of which has the word entrusted in it. This is about a third of the, the places that entrusted appears in the Bible. So as I read these passages, you might listen for that word. First, from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. From Paul's letter to the Galatians. When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, Just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel for the circumcised, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only one thing, that we remember the poor, which was actually what I was eager to do. From Paul's letter to Timothy. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. From the letter of Peter. When Christ was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And finally, from the letter of Jude, Beloved, I appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, today as this sermon and my words move from the earthly and grounded to the transcendent, and then back again to the earthly. May you follow us in that ark. And may the words of my mouth, the meditations that those words elicit in our hearts and souls, be acceptable in thy sight, illumine our faith, and lead us to deeper service. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So since the middle of July, the preaching at Westminster has been focused on the nature and mission of the church. Sermons this summer explored different models by which individuals, congregations, and even denominational traditions throughout history have related to their surrounding culture. This fall, we have focused on how Westminster has sought to express our faith and identity in this culture in which we were founded 75 years ago. These two sermon series have coincided with a challenge that our session has developed for us as a congregation to begin implementing in 2016, our 76th year. Most of you are probably aware of the -the on-the-ground specifics of this challenge. First, in mission and pastoral care, our goal is to strengthen our care for members that we might strengthen our care for the world. We seek to deepen the relationships we have 
and our long-range planning with two ministries which for all intents and purposes are solely dependent on Westminster. The youth and outreach mission that we founded three years ago on the Spirit Lake Indian Reservation in North Dakota and the United Orphanage and Academy that we, have, that we founded 15 years ago in Moyes Bridge, Kenya. To accomplish this, we seek to bring Patrick Honeycutt into a new position as Associate Pastor for Mission and Pastoral Care, in which he will help envision, inspire, nurture, and lead these ministries as well as being the point person in our congregation for leading and developing our congregation-wide care for one another. In Christian education and in fellowship for youth and young adults, our goal is to enhance our growing, and I do mean growing, educational programs for children, youth, and adults, people of all ages. We seek to bring Casey Fitzgerald into a new position as associate pastor for Christian formation in which she will help envision, inspire, nurture, and lead a comprehensive Christian education program, including supervising our director of children's ministries and our director of adult education and a new person to be called as an associate pastor for youth and young adult ministries. These are the on-the-ground organizational specifics of what we're seeking to do. But there is a human side that lies behind them. And I want to talk about that human side for the bulk of the rest of the sermon. It is challenging today, anywhere in the United States, to be a young person. In addition to the normal challenges that youth face in our country, the youth in our congregation are brought up with the tremendous opportunities that exist living in the Washington, D.C. area. But with those opportunities come tremendous expectations for education and for career choice. It is important that the youth of this church have a minister who can shepherd them and their families through the years of middle and high school. A minister to whom they can return in college or graduate school. A minister to whom they may return if they return to this area. In addition, as you know, Many young adults come to the Washington area from all over the country. Many of you, like them, came here five years ago, ten years ago, forty years ago to just stay for a couple of years. But you're still here. People who come here are filled with a desire to serve through the military, through the State Department or Foreign Service through careers in government, politics, law, medicine, science, journalism, or the arts. This area attracts people to serve. 
many of these young adults come to the Washington area through Alexandria. It's one of three or four major points of entry into this region. And many find their way to Westminster because of our music and preaching, because of our mission and service. Many are looking for a traditional worship service like we are with a choir and an organ and the kind of music we do. And they walk in here and say, this feels like the church from home. The largest segment in our congregation is now that segment between ages 26 and 45. As you've heard others speak, a third of our current session of 27 adults are people who came to Westminster through the Young Adult Program just in the last 10 years as Casey has led it. As she moves deeper into leading our education program and as Patrick moves into leading our mission and pastoral care, a new associate pastor will be called to lead our youth ministry and our young adults. Now, continuing with the human side of these goals, there are, as you heard Melissa say, when we founded the orphanage in Kenya 15 years ago, it was six children sleeping on a concrete floor in a building that was about the size of this chancel, possibly smaller. That is how it started. Those six girls were children of parents who had AIDS. That is how the orphanage started. There are people in Kenya today, 10 years old, 15 years old, 22 years old, who are alive because of what Westminster has done. There are children at the Spirit Lake Indian Reservation who have a place to turn to, a person of faith whose compensation we pay about three-fourths of, and a person who provides safety out of a situation in which the rates of poverty, addiction, and abuse are among the highest in our nation. Neither of these ministries would exist without Westminster. We have essentially founded them both. Neither of these ministries will exist without Westminster. They are not just ministries that we support they're not just ministries that we send volunteers to from time to time. They are ministries that we have founded and for which we are uniquely responsible. They will not be without us. The financial side to this human side is pretty simple. 7.5% increase in our overall pledging as a congregation. That represents $122,000. About a third of it will go to normal increases in our worship, 
our education, the care of our facilities, and to mission. About another third of it goes to normal personnel increases, rising health insurance, cost of living. About a third of it goes to this new staff structure, including the calling of a new associate pastor. 7.5% is a challenging number, but it is doable. We have reached or exceeded that three times in the past 11 years. But there is a human side as well that lies behind that 7.5% and how we can get there. If you are a long-term donor for whom the support for Westminster is the most significant charitable giving that you do, I hope that you will seriously consider the level of your giving, that you will consider this challenge that is before us, and that, we'll, that you will do as you have so often done over the years, your very best. If you are a member who financially supports Westminster, but who knows deep down inside that you could give more, I hope that you will consider what we are seeking to do and pay attention to the motto of this campaign. I am not a person that ever comes up with mottos. They don't do much for me. I don't pay much attention to them. But this one has actually gotten my attention. The motto is give to grow. I promise you that if you increase your giving by an amount that stretches you, by an amount that you notice and feel a little bit more than you notice and feel what you're currently giving, then you will grow. You will grow in your faith. You will grow in your interest and in your involvement at Westminster. And you will grow spiritually. You will give. And you will grow. And if you are new, new to Westminster, new to church membership in general, new even to Christianity, I hope that you will do what the bulk of members at Westminster have come to do over the years of their membership. Make a pledge that challenges and disciplines you to express gratitude to God through supporting the work of Westminster Church. Most of us at Westminster have found that pledging is a spiritual discipline that actually makes us more appreciative of what God has done in our lives and what we, in turn, can do for God. We give and we grow. Now, despite all the fear and self-doubt and anxiety and uncertainty that seem to be sweeping our country these days. I have entitled this sermon Entrusted because the reality that I know that is even deeper than the fear that is depicted in the media culture 
The reality that I know beneath that fear or that's stronger than that fear is the reality of what God has given us in trust in this nation and in this congregation. In our nation, we have been entrusted with vast lands and natural resources of which we are the stewards. We have been entrusted with a diversity of people who form the melting pot of who we are and who provide the energy that make this country go. We've been entrusted with the ideals of freedom and equality and the naturally creative tension that emerges when you put those two things together. And we have been entrusted, especially in this community, with a prosperity that is almost unmatched anywhere else in the world and with an education, a knowledge that is almost unmatched in human history. I don't care how much fear and anxiety is out there and fear and anxiety is played upon The reality is we have been entrusted with these enormous gifts. Likewise in our congregation, we have been entrusted with a life and a history, 75 years now, that has been so rich for so many in this community, particularly for people who pass through this congregation and stay for three or four or five years and then go somewhere else and we keep in touch with them and often, often they have, fi- they have trouble duplicating this experience or matching it. And that's to say nothing about the richness that most of us experience here. The word entrusted, as I said earlier, I think occurs 17 times in the Bible. I only read five of them to you. But of these 17 times, eight refer to being entrusted with faith. One refers to being entrusted with a household or a lineage. Two refer to being entrusted with with a vineyard. Four refer to being entrusted with an individual or a group of people human being. One refers to being entrusted with a commission and one refers with being entrusted with the final day of the Lord. Of all these verses, my favorite is guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us, to us collectively to us at the table. My friends, we have been entrusted with so much in this nation, with so much in this community, and with so much in this congregation. How can we help but be humbled? How can we help but give thanks? How can we help but be joyful? How can we help but be hopeful? How can we help but be those who try to dismantle fear? How can we help but give back to God in trust for that which God has entrusted us? Earlier this week, I met a retail salesperson 
who happened to learn that I was a minister. I do everything I can to not share that information, but sometimes it is unavoidable. When I shared that with him, he asked if we could go into the back room and sit down and talk, to which I agreed. He is a Ghanaian Christian who has been in this country for a little over a dozen years. He shared with me that he goes to Mass every morning as he takes his son to school. And then on Sundays, he attends a large Pentecostal, charismatic megachurch in Maryland near where he lives. He showed me the church's website. The church has orphanages and hospitals and satellite congregations all over the world. He said, every once in a while I get moved and I'll send $1,000 to support this orphanage or this hospital and it makes me feel good. But what I want to talk to you about, he said, is I don't understand this tithing thing. Can you explain tithing to me? He really said this. I'm not kidding. I asked, do you make enough money to give to the church regularly? He said, I make enough money. I said, I assume you work on commission. He said, yes, I work on commission, but I have enough money. Then I said... Well, I can't really tell what's blocking you from pledging or from tithing or from regularly supporting your church. But let me suggest this. Just look at what you expect to make in the upcoming year. And then get out your calculator and figure out what 2% of that would be and what 5% of that would be. And even what 10% of that would be, the biblical standard of tithing. And then pick a percent that you can meet this coming year, but that will challenge you. Challenge you where you'll feel it. And pledge that amount to your church, and then pay your pledge, weekly or monthly, or quarterly, whatever works. And then the next year, consider increasing it by 1% of your income. And the year after that, 1%. And pretty soon, you'll be at tithing. As I was leaving, he asked me to say a prayer for a co-worker of his, and he called the co-worker in. And I said a prayer for the man, not not knowing the specifics of why he needed prayer. When I finished the prayer, they both made the sign of the cross, which I never know what to do when that's happening. <laughs> but we shook hands, and I left. I may never see this man again, but I got his card, and I'm going to follow up with him in a month or so. And just ask if he made a pledge. I think that he will. I think that he will do his best. Based on everything I know about you all, I think that you will too.